All right, hey, I want to do this as they're going back to their seats. And those of you that are watching, you can go ahead and be seated. I'd like for Pastor Doug, if you could come. So how many of you watched uh, the Atlanta uh, meeting Flashpoint Live? That's why you need to come to Fort Worth, but also you need to come September 15th. Flashpoint Live is going to kick off our conference, and uh, Mike Lindell will be there uh, with Pastor Gene Bailey, the host of Flashpoint, Dutch Sheets, Eric Metaxas. It's going to be a powerful time. Well, we felt to go to Atlanta. Pastor Gene actually did, and he, boy, did he nail it. And uh, us going, and when we were there, there was a time where Pastor Gene had asked, he said, hey, um, do you have anything? And it came right after Dutch was really doing a marvelous job about kicking the devil out of our garden. And uh, the Lord began to uh, instruct, you know, it was my opportunity to share. And, and he showed me something earlier that day that I just felt to do, and that was to have everybody pray and really call down the fire of God. And uh, we did, all of us as a corporate People, those of you that watch, you did the same. Well, a few days later, a very odd statue, idol, structure, the Georgia Guidestones fell. And uh, this was no coincidence. Now, we are in no way, for those of you that are watching, proponents of blowing up statues or something that you don't like or you don't agree with. That's not what we're saying. We're simply saying that this thing, there was more that meets the eye in the sense that there was inscriptions on it. That was very um, interesting and really, uh, in all honesty, it violates a lot of what we as Christians believe, but also what we as uh, people who believe in, in the freedoms that God has freely given and also what our Constitution stands for. There was definitely an agenda in what was written upon those guidestones, um, and, and I believe that God's hand of intervention uh, came and was part of it. And so I want to share with you some prophecies that really point to maybe a different thing than what you're hearing in the news. I'm not here to bring a conspiracy to you. That's not my point. I'm not here to, again, be a proponent for any kind of, uh, of explosives and that kind of thing and, and harm or whatever. I'm simply saying I want to share some prophecies with you to show you that I believe that something bigger happened. Because the news is never going to show you the spiritual side. And the news most of the time isn't going to show you the truth. Okay, it's very interesting. They have high powered cameras. That's what they said early on. Now they're not saying it as much, but what they're showing you is very distorted cameras of some silver car. I feel sorry if that's some innocent guy that just kind of happened to drive by looking for his wife's car keys that she might have dropped while they were walking, you know. And then there's this, you know, now new surveillance villain of a suspected suspect wearing black clothing in really black, dark sky. And you have a five-second video on high-resolution cameras, right? So we're going to discover some things here. So, Pastor Doug, would you share with us what was really some of the things that were written yes. on these guidestones? So let's look at the first picture okay, look that at the we first have. Picture. Here, I'll and this, come on this side. You can, you can see the guidestones there. They were erected in 1980, and there's 237,000 pounds of granite there, the finest granite that you can buy. And about 19 feet tall, so almost as tall as the roof of this sanctuary. So these are not small stones that were erected. And some people have called them the 10 points of the Antichrist, actually, because of what's inscribed on them. So they, there's 10 points inscribed, and they're in eight different languages. But let me just give you five that are very interesting 
to give you an idea what was on the Guidestones. Um, number one, maintain humanity under 500 million people in perpetual balance with nature. And if you know anything about world population, we're at almost 8 million now in the world. So, I'm sorry, 8 billion? That would be a reduction of about 94% of the current population if we were to go to there. Number two is guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Number three, unite humanity with a living new language. Number four is rule your passion, faith, tradition, and all things need to be tempered with reason. Let's don't get too excited about faith and your passion. And then let me just give you two more here. Let all the nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Does that sound like a new world order? Let's have a one world government that decides everything for the world. And then let me just give you the last one here. It says, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Does that sound like the green agenda? So you can go out and look at all this and see every point that's on there, but it is definitely a George Soros agenda. Okay. All right. So. so what's interesting about this is if they'll show the picture of what they're showing in the news. Okay, so this is before the blast. Notice there's a, a strange fireball light to the left. Okay. Show the next one. Now you see an explosion. You still see the same light, and it looks like it's moving towards that object. Notice the purple. Now, uh, I've learned this, but I've also known this. Any time that there is something that does with lightning... Do you know that the color is what you see on the other side because it's the admitting of the energy of that actual lightning bolt? You'll often see the, the purplish color that, that, go out and look at lightning strikes. You'll see what I'm talking about. And so um, that's what you see. Now show the next one. So then you see the explosion. They say in the news, and again, I'm not here, I'm just... If, if that's what happened, it happened. But I want to show you some prophecies that I believe we need to look at very carefully. So anyway, that's uh, the, this explosion. Now watch. It's down in, in rubble. Okay. It's completely destroyed. Yeah, it's removed. Now, here's why I personally, I believe, again, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I believe that lightning had something to do with it. Why do I believe that? I believe for a couple reasons. Number one is show the st there was a storm. This was three days after the Flashpoint Live event that this thing came tumbling down and we prayed. Those are the storm that came at the exact time. Those are lightning strikes right up by where this monument is, right there, okay? Now, I'm gonna show you another, show them the next graphic. So, look at this one. This is the latitude, or you can call it the flatitude, is 34.13. Look at what Exodus 34.13 says. But you shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. All right, now, I want you to look at two prophecies that God spoke ahead of time in April of 2021. Look at what the Lord said. All right, if they can put it up. Watch for the lightning strike that shall bring strange fire. Did you see fire? Strange fire and the wind that blows that will topple the statue. Stop right there. Keep that up there. 
You have to understand, how many of you have ever read the book of Revelation? And it talks about locusts. People have tried to interpret for years, is that literal locusts? Or does it have a double meaning? Is it helicopters, right? Same way, when God says, watch lightning, watch fire, and watch wind. That could be literal, or it could be the way that God deals with something. When you see God saying, I'm going to deal with something with lightning, fire, and wind, those are how God chooses to judge. He judges through lightning. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he scatters the enemy with lightning bolts. When Satan fell, he fell like lightning. When you see fire in the Bible, how did God bring judgment against Jezebel? In the days of Elijah, sent fire, right? Wind. The Bible says that God gathers the winds in his fists. And he uses it to strike against the enemy. So put it back up. Let's look at it. These are interesting. Watch for lightning strike that shall bring fire. It could be literal. Strange fire and wind that blows that will topple the what? The statue. What statue? I will show the earth that the enemy's agenda. Did we just read what the enemy's agenda was? I will show the earth that the enemy's agenda as Satan fell from heaven like lightning. So shall his agenda. I believe there's a lot that's attached to it. Fire shall be the sign. I saw a fireball. As I stood, my presence at the, as the Philistines put my glory, my presence next to the statue Dagon, it fell. And notice what happened to its limbs. It was cut off. What did you see to that statue? Look for the signs of the wind and the toppling that shall follow. What does a nation look like filled with glory? You're about to see it. Now, look at this next one. This one is even, even more amazing. So this one is April 11th. But watch what begins to take place is there'll be a strange, strange sight that shall come from the movement of my hand. So what's God saying? Watch my hand. That shall be demonstrated by the wind. He keeps talking about it. Again, if he gathers the wind in his fist, he might be saying, I'm gathering the wind. Again, there were storms in the area. Who knows? For when the wind blows, they will say, and it could be the wind of his spirit moving with this hand or with what has been prayed over that region. For when the wind blows, they'll say, what is this that has what? Toppled. What is this that has fallen over? We did not think that this, and it shall be of a statue. And they will ask, how is it that this statue could topple? How is it that this thing could fall over? They're still asking. So we'll see. How many of you believe God's got something to do with it? Amen. Amen. So I just thought, I'd, did you enjoy that? And uh, we'll be having another prophetic pulse, just so you know, we were planning on having it on Wednesday, but uh, I just need some time to gather some more stuff up and I've had a pretty busy schedule. So we'll get a new date and we'll have prayer this Wednesday. All right, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter two very quickly. I just want to preach and continue on in what we've been talking about for a few weeks now about the benefits or the importance of speaking in tongues. Now, just before Pentecost Sunday, the, I was gathering my notes together, just kind of praying and, and uh, asking the Lord. I said, God, what do you want me to talk about on Pentecost Sunday? And I heard the Lord's voice speak the scripture to me. And then he followed it up with a question. And he said these words to me. Hank, what do you believe or what do you think the state of the individual believer would be if they prayed in tongues? What do you think that the state of the believer would be if they prayed in tongues more? 
Then he said, what do you think the state of my church in the earth would be if they all prayed in tongues or would increase the amount of praying in tongues? Then he began to go on and he kept going. He said, what do you think the state of politics would be in the earth? What do you think governments would be like? What would be the state of the nation? What would be the state of the earth if the people of God prayed in tongues and prayed in tongues more? But how about this? All, even all at the same time. We would come out of a place of the flesh and division and confusion and we would move into a very powerful dimension of spiritual authority. And what I want to show you today is Acts chapter 2, verse 4, because this is exactly what happened. And they were all, notice the word, all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, not some demon, don't insult God, don't insult what he said. This is the promise of the Father. He isn't going to give you a counterfeit. Like preachers have preached that tongues is of the devil, that's an insult to Jesus who said, if you ask for bread, he's not going to give you, you know, uh, what was the thing? Bread, a, a serpent, an egg, a, a scorpion. He's not going to do that. Or are you here? So you have to understand that they got the utterance from the Holy Spirit. Not a demon, not the devil, no witchcraft. This was God. That caused them to begin to speak in tongues as they opened their mouths and began to speak. Now I say that because I want you to go to Judges 7. We're going to go back to this passage of scripture. And I want you to look very carefully. Because as I taught you a few weeks ago, speaking in tongues is a weapon. We talked about the benefits of praying in tongues. We talked about how it builds you up, according to Jude, verse 20. It's like uh, muscle uh, lifting, bench pressing. We talked about how when you pray in tongues, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says that you speak unto God in the Spirit. Every time you pray in tongues, do you know you are hitting the target? You are praying perfect prayers that are not filled with human speculation. You're not praying prayers of unbelief. You are praying prayers in the spirit language, in the spirit realm that hits a target every time. That's why Romans 8 says we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the spirit of God maketh intercession. Why? We don't know how to pray in our native language as we should. But when you pray in tongues, you hit the mark every time. When you pray in tongues according to Jesus in John 16, he said, I am telling you, I am going away that I may send you another comforter. I am sending you the Holy Spirit who shall come in my name. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you and lead you into all truth. Every time you pray in tongues, you are adjusting your perspective from the fake news, the false narrative the propagandas that fill our culture, our airwaves. Because when you pray in tongues, you are connecting spirit to spirit to the God of truth. It'll adjust you. When you pray in tongues, another thing is according to the book of Jude, it keeps you in love. When you pray in tongues, it's a spiritual weapon. And I want to talk about that. Look at Judges chapter 7. I want to paraphrase this because I believe the Lord said something to me. He said, he said, my people are in a test. Now, you might say, well, God doesn't tempt anyone. I didn't say that. I said, test. There's a test. There's God looking and seeing what are you going to choose? 
What are you going to do? He's not tempting you with evil. He's testing you. He wants to see what's in your heart, like in the book of Deuteronomy, where the Bible says in Deuteronomy that God himself put the children of Israel in the wilderness, watch this, to test them, to try them, to humble them, to see what was in their heart and to see if God, if the people would live by, by God's word or not. Paraphrase. So there was a test and God is testing his people. You say, well, Pastor Inc., what is he testing us of? I'm going to show you. Look at Judges 7 verse 1. So here the nation of Israel was being attacked in the days of Gideon. In fact, God had to appear in the chapter before to Gideon and had to say, Gideon, rise up, thy mighty man of valor. God was looking for a man who would arise. If I could say anything to you in this time and in this day, especially to you preachers who cower and those of you that refuse to stand up boldly in the time that a nation needs you, a, a country needs you, the earth needs you, your church needs you, the church needs you, but yet you cower. I'm telling you, God came to Gideon and said, Gideon, I need a man to rise up. Oftentimes people say, God will just work it out. There is truth to that. But I'm here to tell you, God always looks for a man. In Genesis chapter 6, when the Bible says that man continually thought upon evil, their thoughts were continually upon perversion and evil and corruption. And God said he looked around the earth and he found a man, a man. Do you know who he found? He found Noah. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. The Bible doesn't refer to him as a man of righteousness, even though he was. The Bible references he for 120 years building an ark, which is an Old Testament example of the church. He was a preacher. He was building the church. What was he doing? Hammering away, telling them, repent of your sin. A flood is coming. Rain is coming. He confronted the culture. He confronted whatever government was in there. He didn't stop pounding it. And in Luke 17, Jesus said, as Noah was rejected in his generation, so shall the son of man be. We need some preachers of righteousness that are not afraid to speak out boldly. I heard one preacher recently say, and he sided with Maxine Waters of California. And he said these words. He was making her a hero and said he was attacking Roe versus Wade. And he said, oh, really, if it's about pro-life, then my question is, if it's about pro-life, then why don't we abolish the death penalty? If it's about pro-life, why don't we, you know, have an answer for the opioid problem? And I wanted to say to the man through the screen, sir. That child in the womb, according to Proverbs 31, God looks for those who will speak and stand up for those who can't. That child committed no crime. That child did no drugs. That child is innocent. And that is why I am pro-life. I stand up for the innocent who cannot speak or defend themselves. And God Almighty hates abortion. Now, what we cannot do is celebrate Roe versus Wade and somehow have answers for those who are going to get pregnant and become confused with what to do with their child. We must have answers. We are in a test. Judges 7, verse 1. Zerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Harad so that the host, the Midianites, now watch this, the, the enemy 
were on the north side. They were getting ready to take over their nation. Has our nation been under attack, America? Watch what God does, verse 2. He comes to Gideon. He says, Gideon, there's too many people. I'm not interested in big churches. I'm not, in, I'm not interested in brother big name. I want people that are going to stand up in this time and not take the credit for what I'm about to do. And that is I'm about to deliver a nation. Folks, I'm here to tell you we are winning We are going to continue to win. The tide is turning and the Lord is showing us that no man can stand against him. Now watch what God does. In verse 3, you have the Midianites who are on the horizon. They have outnumbered Israel's warriors, supposed warriors, 32,000 warriors. And God says, proclaim in the ears of those who are in part of the 32,000. If you're afraid, if you're fearful, Leave. That's where some people live today. They're so afraid to get involved in the culture. They're so afraid to stand up for traditional marriage. They're afraid to honor policemen in uniform. They're so afraid to defend the Constitution and fly their American flag. They're afraid to sing the national anthem. They're afraid to stand and salute and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Come on, preacher. There's a lot of fear. They're afraid to stand up. They're afraid to speak out. That somehow it's going to be in the hands of politicians and the hands of corrupt leaders and the hands of a corrupt media to somehow be the voice of truth. And they are afraid and they take themselves out of the deliverance needed for a nation. And so, are you ready? Out of 32,000, 22,000 left in fear. Go on to verse 4. Watch this. And the Lord said, Gideon, the people yet are too many. But bring them down to the what? Underlined circle water. We're going to talk about this next week. Water is in the Bible symbolic of uh, of a couple things that you see with water. Now, people always say, well, that's the word of God. Because Ephesians 5 says that we are washed. We wash our wives by the watering of the word. That's true. But whenever you see water, how did God test Israel after he parted the Red Sea? Three days later, they come to the waters of bitterness, Mara. God used the River Jordan to use a testing for the people. So water often speaks of a test. And God even says it. Bring the people to the water for a test. That's number one. But you have to look at Old Testament scriptures. And realize that there's a literal meaning, a historical meaning to why something is written. It actually happened. It literally happened. But there's a prophetic meaning that you have to take Old Testament stories and examples and pull it through the cross and look at what it connects to that God is revealing in the New Testament. So when you look at water here, it speaks of a type of the Holy Spirit. That's why in Luke chapter 3, Jesus was baptized in water and what was connected to it? The infilling of the Holy Spirit of Jesus' life. That's why John 7, if they can put that up, we'll go back to Judges 7. Jesus compared water to the Holy Spirit. He said, let him, in, in John 7, 37, that thirst, let him come to me. And he said, out of his belly, verse 38, come on, that's your spirit, man. That's your belly. 
Out of your belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. Now, stop right there. Notice he's saying water, rivers in your belly, which is your spirit. Now, notice the next verse. What does he compare water to? But he spoke of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. So what was the rivers and the powerful plurality of river was God speaking about? He was speaking as he was talking about water, rivers of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So how many understand water speaks of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle. What does he do? Takes empty vessels and he fills them with what? Water. Now, we get saved by the word. That's what the empty vessels represent, our life that is empty without God or salvation. But what did Jesus offer in John 4 to the woman at the well? Living water, which was the Holy Spirit that would bring a regeneration to her spirit and she would be born again. So notice Jesus' first miracle, John 2, fill empty people with the water of the Holy Spirit, where now they're no longer empty, they're born again. And then what happens, the next thing that should follow, once you're born again by the Holy Spirit? It turns into wine. In Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they mocked him and said, who are these men, Acts 2.13, that are full of new what? Wine. wine. So it's not just getting saved as an empty person, it's also being filled, that's why it turned it was filled, the empty vessels, Jesus' first miracle. You need salvation, but you need the infilling, the wine of the Holy Spirit. Now, what did Jesus tell him to do with that Holy Spirit? Pour it out. That's the power of God. you got to release that wine. That's also called praying in tongues. You take that water that now your salvation experience, you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you don't just leave the Holy Spirit and get filled with the Spirit and never speak in tongues. you got to let it out. you got to pour it out. Amen? Now watch. This is important. Go back to Judges 7 verse 4. Water is a type of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you next week, there's a, something in the Bible called the law of first mention. In other words, whenever something is first mentioned in Scripture, you need to pay attention to it because it has a very important meaning. So the Lord one day said to me, said, the Holy Spirit is likened unto water. Okay, it's like, he's likened to oil. He's likened, you, you get it. But he said water. And he said, Hank, I want you to look at the law of first mention concerning water. So I went and I studied why does Genesis 1-2 start off with the earth? The Spirit of God, hello, Holy Spirit is connected to water. He's moving over the fountain of the, the foundation, or the, 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 uh, the, the waters. The Holy Spirit is connected to the deep. Wow. And I thought, well, that's the first mention. He said, yeah, and from there, I want you to look, because he said, that is the big picture. But I want to show you the process. He said, look at every time in Scripture that a type of water, you know, ice is a type of water. Mist is a type of water. Rain is a type of water. He said, look at the first mention of different types of water, and it will reveal the prophetic pattern of how a believer 
is to walk in the spirit-filled life and what I have planned for the earth. And we'll talk about that next week. But I want you to know this because, look here, there was a test. It was a test of the water in the natural, literally in Gideon's day. Prophetically pulled over to the New Testament, there is a test today of what are we doing with the Holy Spirit. Churches kicked the Holy Spirit out. That's why it was so easy to shut it down with the scandemic because they were so busy about their coffee being their inviting uh, invitation. You know, oh, we have the best coffee and there was no Holy Spirit. Hasn't been any Holy Spirit. They pushed the Holy Spirit right out. So there's a test today. Is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ going to welcome the Holy Spirit and allow his power to be displayed? But there's a greater test. Notice what this test was. Again, keep in mind New Testament uh, prophetic of this water in the Old Testament. So, they bring, so God tells Gideon, bring them down to the water. I will test them there. And I say unto you that this shall go with me. Whoever I say goes with me, they'll go with me. Now, look at verse 5. Specifically, God brings them down to the natural water, which prophetically today is a type of the Holy Spirit. And watch what the test had to do with. So he brought him down to the water, a type of the Holy Spirit, said unto Gideon, everyone that laps with the water with his what? Tongues. Notice tongue or tongues are connected to water, a type of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? And so the test was 22,000 left in fear. So now there's 10,000 out of the 32,000 that originally was there. And, and God says, Gideon, I'm going to test them by how, when, and if they use their tongues. What's the test in the New Testament for us today? There's a test of what are you doing with the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? What are you doing with those empty water pots that your life once was? Jesus' first miracle. Are you pouring it out? Are you praying in tongues? Are you demonstrating the power of God? So in Gideon's day, there was a test of natural water and those that would bring the water up to their mouth and lap with their tongue like a dog. So notice the test was water and tongues, type of the Holy Spirit and tongues. Will you do it? Come on, how many are seeing this? And so what happens is, you can keep reading in Judges 7, God brings them down with Gideon to the water and only 300 out of the 10,000 took their hand and used their tongues. It's amazing the small majority of people today that are praying in tongues, using their tongues. Either you have those that are afraid, oh, it's of the devil. I heard wrong teaching about it. And they just refuse it. They're afraid when the preacher calls for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, they run from it. With every kind of excuse under the sun. Amen. Or you have those in the church that are so busy putting their face in the blessings of God. Oh, God's providing. God's blessing me. But you've never prayed in tongues. Or you don't do it that often. Because yep. you're just lapping up the blessings. And while you're lapping up your blessing, your nation is being taken from you. It's going to take tongue-talking warriors to deliver our nation. I promise you. But it's not just the test of speaking in tongues. It's the test of what are you speaking? Right. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. What are you speaking over America? What are you speaking over your life? What are you speaking over the future of, of the earth? Yep. 
God's not on a rescue mission. He's on an occupying mission. I'm keeping my church there because I'm going to come back for a glorious one, not a wimpy church. So let's go back to what happened. 300, notice what God says. He says, by 300, Judges 7, 6, I will deliver the enemy. In other words, there will be a spiritual intervention because you cannot have 300 take on a whole army that you are outnumbered vastly. That requires a divine intervention. 300 men also represents that not only would there be a spiritual intervention or breakthrough, right, that God would bring, but also there would come spiritual victories. Now, why is that important? Because that's the way it was in the natural. So if in the spirit, in the New Testament, waters is a type of the Holy Spirit, the test is how, if, and when you're going to pray in tongues. Are you going to be part of the 300? And God is saying, if you are connected to your tongues, hello 300, is spiritual breakthrough, victories, and intervention. Every time you pray in tongues, do you know you are releasing spiritual victories, divine intervention, and you're bringing breakthrough. All right, look at, look at the number 300. In Judges 15, Judges 15, verses 4 and 5, Samson decides to do something. He says, by uh, so three, so Judges 15, they didn't have it up there. Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Notice it wasn't 301. And took firebrands and turned their tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst of them. Took out the enemy. Again, spiritual victory. Natural victory. Okay, what happens? You know, it's amazing. He found 300 foxes. I've only found one. Brenda. Now, look at 1 Chronicles 11. Look at 1 Chronicles 11. This is powerful. So 1 Chronicles 11, again, keep in mind, in the natural with Gideon, the 300 represented natural victories, breakthrough, spiritual intervention of God, because that's what it would take, 300 against a whole massive army. But look at again, and this is the number of the mighty men who David had. Jashobim. Can you imagine having your name, Jashobim? <laughs> Jashobim! It's dinner time, Jashabine. <laughs> Whoa, man, come in. He'd be like, no, call me Fred. And he was a Hashemonite, the chief of the captains. And he lifted up his spear against 300. So there was a spiritual victory connected to 300. All right, go to Mark chapter 14. Let's pull over into the New Testament. So I taught you a principle last week. And I showed you the principle of how do you go to the next level in your tongues? Jesus said, pay attention, John 7, and those of you that are watching, he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. We think, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I have so much power. Well, what are you doing with that power? You evangelizing? Are you speaking in tongues and letting out the river of power? Or you just holding on to it and praying in nice little tongues. You're not even trying to go beyond one word or two words. Yeah. You know how I went from, well, I prayed in tongues like a river when I first got, but you know how I got more and more words? How I went from because I do it all the time. My spirit is strong and it gets used to the flow and I let it out of me. 
When my, when I, I mean, I remember when I pray in tongues, I tried to do it the nice way. Then there's something inside of me going, what are you doing? You're wasting your time and God's. And I put my body into it. And what am I doing? I'm letting it out. Now look at Mark 14. And two days was the feast of Passover. And of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take Jesus by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be uproar of the people. Now watch what happens. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of beautiful, sweet, anointing oil. Very precious. All right, let me ask you a question. What do you have on the inside of you if you have the Holy Spirit? You have a precious alabaster box called your spirit man. Jesus called it your belly. That is precious. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a precious anointing. In fact, it's so precious that the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10, you're not to let flies get inside of that precious anointment. You know what flies are? The devil's the lord of the flies. Don't be hanging out with the devil. Don't be doing stuff that attracts flies like doo-doo to your life. You don't have doo-doo, they won't come around. So here's the thing. This speaks of your spirit, man. It speaks, you could call it your spirit. Jesus called it your belly. You can call it your alabaster box of beautiful anointing. That is on the inside of you. But notice, it's not just to be nice where you put it on the shelf. You know, I've been a Christian for five years. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit for 20 years. Yeah, but are you breaking it open? You go beyond Lama Lama Sike. See Dick run. See Jane kick the ball. Do you go beyond elementary tongues? Or do you get over it? I am in this And you break open your belly, the fountain of your deep, your alabaster box. Notice what she did. She broke it open. What did Jesus do in his first miracle? Said, uh, don't leave the water and the wine, your salvation experience and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't just keep it in the container. Break it open like she did. Pour it out. Now notice what she did. She broke it open and she poured it on his head, which symbolized a spiritual victory. Because Jesus, this was for his burial, but ultimately he would win. And he did win. So watch what happens. Verse four. And there were some that had indignation, just like today. Oh, tongues is of the devil. Why is he preaching on tongues? I came to listen to a message about how I can make it or fake it. <laughs> what a waste. What a waste of a church service. All that guy did was talk about tongues. Don't you know it's of the devil? I know what some people are saying. Why waste their time? Why waste their time talking about tongues? It's not for me. Well, you don't know your Bible and you insulted God. You know why tongues of fire showed up on Acts chapter 2? Why it was tongues of fire, fire, fire. Because the way that God showed 
that he accepted a blood sacrifice. Hello. 50 days before that, there was the most incredible blood sacrifice there ever was. The final sacrifice of Jesus. And God answered my fire before. He would have to answer my fire again to show that the blood of Jesus, oh, it's more than enough. It's worthy and it's approved by God. And when you speak in tongues, you are adding your agreement. That's why the devil attacks tongues. Every time I pray in tongues, oh, it reminds the devil, oh, Jesus was crucified. His blood was shed that kicked the butt out of the devil. Amen. All right, let's get done. Now, why did you waste this? Why did you talk on tongues? It's a waste of time. For it might have been sold for how much? 300 pence. How did he come up with that number? Because 300 is connected to, notice what she did, broke it open. It's connected to breakthrough. It's connected to spiritual victories in your life. All right? You ready? I'm almost done. Go back, go to Genesis 7, verse 11, and I'm, I'm going to end with just one more passage for the next 50 minutes. No, I'm just Watch this. Jesus said, out of your belly, the woman that came in with the alabaster box broke hers open. Jesus said, out of your belly. Then he said in John 7, right? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Come on, come on. Are you hearing me? In the first miracle, he drew out all that. You're getting it? I'm trying to go fast, and I want to make sure I'm... You're on point. In the 600 years of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken open. Now, where's your great deep? Right here in your belly. Psalm 42, verse 7. Put that up very quickly. What does Psalm 42, verse 7 say? It says, the deep, which is God, calls unto your deep. Well, where's your deep at? I don't know. Maybe I got some toe jam. No, your deep is your spirit. That's the alabaster box. That's the out of your belly. That's the drawing out of Jesus' first miracle. And in the Old Testament, deep calls the deep. Go to Genesis 7, verse 11. It says the fountain. So that naturally happened. That literally happened. But what is the prophetic meaning that you pull over into the New Testament? The fountain or your spirit, your alabaster box was broken up and the windows of heaven were what? Open. Every time you break open your deep, you break your alabaster box, that precious anointing, you are affecting something in the heavenlies. Spiritual victories. Now go back. We'll close with Judges 7 again. Now watch what happens. So you get down to Judges 7. Verses 16 through 22. We're going to close with this. And Gideon divided the 300 men into companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand and an empty pitcher and fire. That's what the lamps were within the pitchers. How many get it? You have a trumpet in your right hand. You have a clay jar. And inside that clay jar is fire. How many people say, I'm on fire for God? I want to be more on fire for God. Okay, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, you got fire shut up in your bones. How do you get that fire out? How do you get more of that fire? All right, keep reading. And he said to them, look at me, do as I do. Verse 18, he says, I'm going to blow the trumpet and you're going to blow the trumpet on every side of the camp. And you're going to say, watch the victory, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. In other words, if you do what I say with the trumpet with the clay pot with fire in it, you, and you're going to break that open. Come on, what happened to the alabaster box? You broke it open. What did Jesus say in John 7? Out of your belly. Genesis 7. They broke open the fountains of the deep. 
Here, he says, get ready. You're going to blow the trumpet, and you're going to do what? Keep reading, verse 19. And he said, watch, outside the camp. He set watch, blew the trumpets, and what did they do to the pitchers? Broke the pitchers that were in their hands, and guess what happens? The fire began to shine. What happens when you, again, what was the test in Judges 7? They went to the water, a type of the Holy Spirit. In that testing of the Holy Spirit, the water, what specifically was God looking for? How and when or if they used their tongues. Now he's saying, here's how we're going to kick the devil. You have got to let the fire outside of the clay pots. Now, Hosea chapter 8 verse 1 says, set thy trumpet to your mouth. You know what that's talking about? The trumpet represents your mouth, your voice, your utterance. Come on, you speaking up in tongues, opening your mouth to speak like a trumpet. Now, watch this. Lamentations chapter 4. Watch what it says about the clay pot. Do you know you're a clay pot? Okay, so you saw that they had a trumpet that represents your speaking, represents your mouth. Come on, you're speaking in tongues. That's what God was looking at. Says the precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how they are esteemed as what? Earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of God, who is the potter. Look at what the next scripture says about that. 2 Corinthians 4 7. We know this scripture. You are earthen vessels. Okay? You're treasure in earthen vessels. So 2 Corinthians 4 7 says that. But we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels, like a clay pot. That is the excellency of the Power may be of God and not of us. How do you get that power out of your earthen vessel? You do the exact same thing that the woman with the alabaster box did. <laughs> you break it open. Yeah. It's the same thing that happened in Genesis 7 in the days of Noah. You break it open, the fountain of your deep. God calls to your deep. He's yeah. the deep. You break it open. You begin to speak. You begin to put some energy behind your tongues. That's your trumpet. Now, you know, that's exactly what they did. You can read on in, in, in Judges 7. They put the trumpet to their mouth. They broke open the jars and out came the fire. What am I saying to you in closing? I'm saying that when you pray in tongues, not just nice, quiet. I'm talking about when you really, really are determined to increase the amount of your praying in tongues. Pastor Doug, you can come. What happens is... You, as that earthen vessel, you begin to use the trumpet of your mouth. You use your tongues and you let, just like they did literally in Judges 7, you let the fire of God out. And the Bible says, you know what? The enemy fled. They had great victory, spiritual intervention, spiritual breakthroughs that happened as a result, all because of the testing of the water, type of the Holy Spirit, the use of their tongues, and the breaking open of the fire of Pentecost, the fire of God. And I'm telling you, if we will pray in tongues more in America, for America, for each other, we're going to see an acceleration of greater victories than you've ever imagined. Amen? So we're in a test. How many want to be part of the 300? How many want to be afraid? Nah. How many want to just lap up the blessings and never pray in tongues? No, no I believe that we're, from this moment forward, we are going to take it to another level. All right, Pastor Doug, I want you to come. Don't forget next week, I'm going to talk about water and all the different examples and how it is a prophetic 
progression of our life and our walk in the Spirit. How many would be interested in that? All right. God bless you.